Um, this time around, how can Democratic candidates ensure that they don't cripple each other and clear the path for a Trump re-election? Right. What you want to do is you want to nominate really a kind of forward-thinking, inclusive, new generation, young, good-looking mayor. <laughs> look, look, I mean, one, one benefit. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I couldn't help it. Um. You're listening to California Nation. I'm Brian Anderson. I recently traveled to San Francisco's Commonwealth Club for an interview with Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg is the 37-year-old South Bend, Indiana mayor running for president. And unlike any presidential candidate in modern history, he's both openly gay and has served in the military. As if he needed to stand out any more from the democratic field, he's developed a reputation as an intellectual. He once learned Norwegian just so he could read an author he thought was being poorly translated. Buttigieg has formed an exploratory committee and will formally launch his campaign very soon. He's steadily gained momentum and has already qualified for the presidential debates. So you're likely to hear more from him in the coming months. Before his talk in San Francisco, I sat down with him to learn more about his vision for the country as well as his political future. Is the millennial mayor really in this race to win? Or is he just holding for a higher elected office if he loses? Is he qualified to take on Donald Trump? And what does he make of his latest travels to the Golden State? As you're about to hear, Buttigieg had plenty to say. I spoke with him as a dozen reporters and a few campaign staff members filed into the room for a media gaggle. Okay, enjoy the show. We are not going to have a circus here. But we just left pleasure for paradise. Can you please hug me? <laughs> Do not worry, Dutch is not here today. We, we clearly learned our lesson. These are not ordinary times. And this will not be an ordinary election. Hello and welcome to California Nation. I'm Thanks. your host, Brian Anderson. We're here with South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Sure thing. Thanks for having us. So let's clear it once and for all. Your husband still says Buddha Judge. You write Boot Edge Edge. Clear it up. What is it? Either way, it gets you to the right outcome. <laughs> Buddha Judge. And do you have Same any three times fast? <laughs> and do you have any ties to California? What do you make of the state so far? Uh, yeah, well, you know, we visited uh, many times and uh, been out here uh, through the course of being mayor. Sometimes too, as uh, mayors from around the country have convened here. Uh, always enjoy my time, uh, whether it's here in the Bay Area or uh, other parts of the state. 30 seconds or less, introduce yourselves to voters who are hearing you for the first time. Sure. Well, uh, I'm a millennial Midwestern mayor. Uh, I get that I have a non-traditional background for contesting the presidency, but also think uh, someone with the kind of executive government background that I bring, as well as the military experience I have as an Afghanistan veteran, might be just the kind of different voice that's called for at a moment when we may even now be underreacting to the depth of the change happening in our society, our economy, and our politics today. And without comparing yourself to President Donald Trump, why do you think you're qualified to to be president. Mayors don't have a tremendous track record of becoming president. Well, you know, historically, I think, uh, you know, it was viewed that kind of federal office was higher than local office. I think today, uh, if you take a look at Washington, a lot of folks would argue that uh, we would be well served if Washington started looking more like our best run cities and towns rather than the other way around. I operate in what you might call a strong mayor system. Uh, I'm responsible for everything from 
public safety to economic development. I know what it's like to get a phone call at 3 a.m. and uh, that can be anything from a an officer-involved shooting that compels me to call our diverse community together uh, while we're waiting for the facts to come in, to uh, dealing with a natural disaster or uh, charting a different economic future for a community that's so typical of the many communities across America where people grew up being told that success meant getting out. Not just industrial communities like mine, but rural communities too. I think that kind of voice is relevant right now. and. You know, uh, the president certainly represents a low bar for experience. Hey, I said without but, uh, comparing yourself to Trump. Yeah. Though. Well, uh, I, also, <laughs> I have more executive experience in government than the vice president does, so, and more military experience than anybody to walk in that office since George H.W. Bush. So on your campaign website, it says this is your eighth and final year as mayor of South Bend. Do you want to be president to maybe boost a separate elected office in the future, or are you really running for president to be president? I don't believe in running for an office so that you could run for some other office. And if that were the plan, I'd be doing something a lot easier than what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, to my own surprise, we're living in a moment, perhaps the only moment in American history, when somebody like me would even be taken seriously. And there's a reason for that. Uh, we need something completely different. And I think there's a, an appetite like we've not seen in my lifetime and uh, maybe in modern times for uh, somebody who comes along who's not like the others. And Indiana is a fairly conservative state. Sorry. What lessons have you learned from Indiana that you think California could could gain some perspective from? Well, one thing you learn is that people are not as ideological as you might assume. I got elected in the, uh, in the same state that produced the current vice president. And uh, even though my community is more democratic, it's also more socially conservative. My county went to about 50-50 in the 2016 election. And yet I've been able to build bridges, not by pretending to be more conservative than I am, uh, but by focusing on results and by focusing on values. One lesson I've learned is that when people know that you're motivated by values, even if their values are a little bit different, they'll give you some credit for that. And I think that's a really important part of how we can reconstruct the fabric that's been so frayed, almost to the point of being shredded, in our political life right now. And we're sitting here today at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. I've been tracking candidate visits. Everyone's hitting San Francisco. Everyone's hitting L.A. What's with ignoring the middle of the state so far? Is this not a good place to, to start campaigning in? We're looking forward to visiting uh, many different parts of the state, especially because you know California in many ways amounts to an early state. Uh, you know, Traditionally, uh, hit Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, but uh, early voting will be underway here in California by the time the Iowa caucuses get going. Uh, so in addition to the uh, cities where we uh, currently have the, the strongest base, I'm looking forward to getting to different communities and also visiting with people I know from the community of American mayors who are in uh, all different parts of the state. And frankly, it's the uh, more inland and, and redder parts of the state that I might have an easier time relating to coming out of Indiana. And you've recent, gasoline in the oil industry is a big part of pretty much most states that you look at. And you've made a pledge not to accept money from fossil fuels. So what's your outlook on fundraising? Because that's a key part of getting to become president. That's Are right. you going to hold big dollar events here in California? Well, having made that decision not to accept fossil fuel money and also having made a decision not to accept corporate PAC funding, we're really relying on grassroots donations to help power this effort. You know, uh, within uh, about a day after the CNN town hall that introduced me to a lot of people around the country, uh, we had over 20,000 individual Contributors. And we're looking for contributions at any level through PeteForAmerica.com. It's part of how we've gotten to this point. And I think it's part of how we're going to surprise people and turn some heads going into the June debates and beyond. And I've got a quote from you from your own words. And you were reflecting on the 2016 race. And you said in an interview with The Breakfast Club that we spent way too much time on our side talking about him. Our whole message was don't, for, 
vote for him because he's terrible and the him's obviously Donald Trump. So what's your message in 2020 and do you worry that Trump is once again dominating the discussion here again? Look, he has a capacity for dominating our attention. That's part of uh, how he is where he is. But uh, I guess my message is that we've got to prepare for the way the world is going to look in 2054 when I get to the current age of the current president. And having a personal stake in where our country is headed by then, I think we have to make the choices today in terms of our politics, in terms of our climate, in terms of our finances that are going to set my generation and the generations to come up for success, even when this presidency has come and gone. Uh, it's not enough to have a message for winning in 2020. We have to have a message that will make sense in 2030, 40, and 50. And I think that message has to do with uh, not pretending that change can be stopped in reverse but setting up America and American workers to be able to succeed in the face of these changes that are going to come our way, whether we're ready for them or not. So let's dig into the weeds. What's going to be your two or big or three biggest policy proposals Yak day one as president? Well, I'm very focused on the condition of our democracy, not because it'll be easy to fix in a day or, or even a term, but because we need to deal with the conditions that made our current fractured uh, political situation possible. That's why we got to deal with things like money and politics, redistricting reform, many of the things in H.R. 1 uh, that was passed in the House but likely to die in the Senate uh, around automatic voter registration and other ways to make it easier for U.S. citizens to vote, D.C. statehood, Supreme Court reform, and anything else that can make our democratic republic more democratic. As we get those structural conditions for our country right, I think we'll be much better positioned to do the kinds of things I believe we need to do on issues from climate change, uh, where we know that we need a package that will include not only things like a, a fair carbon tax, but uh, massive R&D and renewables, uh, to the kinds of things we need to do in economic policy to lift wages, extend benefits, make them portable, and make it possible uh, for the people my age and younger who will change careers so often. Uh, to be able to succeed in the sharing economy with as much security as my grandparents' generation enjoyed, depending on a single uh, relationship with a single employer for their entire working lives. Those are a lot more than two or three issues. So what do you see as the biggest affecting Californians? Democracy. Democracy. Look, democracy is going to affect our ability to touch every other issue that we care about. Again, among the policy groups we talk about, I think climate is the most pressing. Uh, but whether we're talking about climate, infrastructure, education, anything we care about, we're not going to get very far as long as our democracy is twisted. Final one, looking back at your time as South Bend, Indiana, or even, even before that, what do you see as sort of one major defining moment in your life personally that you think would most prepare you to become president? Well, I suppose the moment that I stepped on the aircraft that was going to take me to Afghanistan was one when uh, I realized in a way that I could never forget what's at stake in the decisions that American presidents make, uh, being sent to war on the orders of a president, uh, and also realizing that I'm part of something much bigger than myself and being ready to form bonds with fellow Americans who uh, I had almost nothing in common with other than that fact of being American itself. You shouldn't have to go to war to have that experience, but it's certainly part of how I came to understand where I fit in this country and, and what's at stake in our political choices. Mayor Pete, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Thanks. Good to be with you. During the speech in San Francisco, Buttigieg outlined a number of progressive plans, including expanding the Supreme Court from nine justices to 15. Ten would be appointed by the president under the existing process, while the remaining five would need unanimous approval from the ten appointed justices. You can check our show notes to read more about Buttigieg and some of his ideas. I'll be back in your feed in a couple weeks with another episode. But as more candidates travel to California and speak with us, we'll continue to bring you those conversations. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. This is 
California Nation.